Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you, O oh God, for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who's so passionate about our embrace that he won't leave us as orphans. Thank you, Lord, that we have a spirit that allows us to cry, Abba, Father. Thank you for the promises in your word. Thank you for the reality of, of a life filled with your glory. We pray that you would open our eyes, open our spirits to receive your word, and that we might walk in the example of those godly men who walked before us, Lord, and that we might live this out in such a way that we impact our generations, O oh God. We pray that you open our eyes. We believe your word to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, a blueprint, a model, a shadow of things that uh, serve as an example for those of us who have come to this time to live in this generation, the ends of the earth of your purposes. We pray, Father God, that you give us a clear vision of heaven, that we could see it with the clarity and distinction that's greater than all treasures of the earth, O oh God. Give us a love for you. Give us a passion to serve you with excellence. Allow us to live the authenticity and the genuineness of the faith that is tested by fire, O oh God. We give you thanks for um, chapter 23 of the book of Genesis. As we proceed, uh, another episode in the life of this father of faith that was faithful to you, O oh God, to give us an inheritance, uh, a spiritual legacy and blessing. Prosper your word in our hearts and in our minds and let it be riches untold of your grace to pass down to our children and grandchildren for a thousand generations. We give you thanks for your word. Bless it and prosper it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As we get started, um, what is our everyday reality upon our faith walk in the earth is, is verse 1 in Genesis 23. Um, as I began to prepare for tonight, it, I was not impressed by verse 1, which says, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So, uh, starting out with the demise or the death of Abraham's right-hand person, um, his co-heir, if you will, uh, dying to me um, has no celebratory mode. Um, we all wish that these scenes in our lives and in history and in our relationships would not come to pass. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that 127 years is, is not pretty bad of a lifespan, but in relationship to Abraham, it becomes a very uh, despondent mode, uh, an episode in his life. And, and I, I, I saw often, I don't know about you, but I'd rather side skirt, jump over. I, I wish these verses were not in the Bible. Yet when I um, begin to search it out, and I had to, I had to listen and, and read this chapter like four or five times, in preparation to say, God, why is chapter 23 even here? 
Why, why do you want to put the somber reality of a death of a participant in the story of Abraham uh, right in the process of his travels? And so we're going we're gonna to see the, the wealth of riches in this chapter, and I'm glad it's here. And, and true to anything in the Bible, he who seeks will find. If you dig deep enough, nothing in the Bible is just there by chance or because God was bored and just wanted to put in some filler. The truth of the matter is that uh, I, I wrote as my first paragraph, um, and the message today is faith happens in the context of the earth, world-changing faith on earth. I was telling my niece this afternoon, I wish that that we would already be in heaven. I wish that, that the exercise of this life that we live would be without the deserts that we traverse upon the earth. I put the context for real faith is that which is grounded not only in a heavenly realm before God in the exchange of eternal spirituality, but that which is in traveling the dusty feet of earthly deserts. We, we, our, our faith is in the context of human experience. And we would like to erase everything on the bottom and live in the sphere of, of the supernatural. But the truth of the matter, that a great component of what God is working out in us is for those that are here upon the earth without. In other words, those that are watching us. And if I had a second desire upon the earth I wish that God would get rid of these people that surround me as I'm trying to work out my faith I wish there was nobody looking at the dealings of God in my life so 1 Thessalonians 4:12 tells us that the very context of faith is grounded in earthly surrounding that means that you might walk in a way that pleases God towards those that are looking at you from the outside so that in this process, nothing is lacking. I wish I can delete a lot of people that have nothing to do with my relationship with the Lord. I wish that they weren't involved. I wish they, they are a source of great animosity. Um, as Jeremiah is rebuilding the walls and the gates of Jerusalem, he has to deal with Tobias and Sambalat. That are saying, oh, everything you're doing is a waste of time. And if a fox runs on that wall, it's surely going to fall. So they judge our efforts. And so it's never uh, consistent with a thumbs up. We, we talked about this this week. We were on television uh, for two years in a row here in Miami um, at the beginning of our coming into this building. We, we, were, we were on TV every night from 1230 to 1 for the night owls and we were on television every morning from 6.30 to 7 for the morning, the early birds. For two years, every Monday through Friday, we were on television in Miami and it didn't phase anyone. I, I swore that, that living out a life for God would cause the entire city to come and be a part of what they were seeing in our life. Guess what? Nada. Nada. There was nothing happening. In this realm of darkness, in this place where Abraham finds himself, you will soon see 
that faith is surrounded by, by the pathetic surroundings of those who have no clue what we're doing, how we're doing it, and why we're doing it. They have no value to the efforts. Um, listen to what, what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. That you might continue to walk properly in sight and in your relationship with those that are outside. And my question is, what for? Why? This is hard enough by itself. I'm out of my land. I'm out of my family. I'm following God. I'm trying to, I offered him my son in the previous chapter. I'm paying the price. But here in Genesis 23, he's burying his wife. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8.21 again. For we are taking great pains. Listen to what it says. We're going through incredible efforts to do what is right and honorable. Not only in God's sight, but also in the sight of all men. So we, we wish that, that our faith and devotion was, Lord, I want to please you. I want to hear you. I want to live for you. I want to surrender. But I would rather and prefer that it not be surrounded by those that, that aren't in this. But Paul says that our faith is, and it has to do, not only living, and, and here uh, in a translation it says, for we are taking great pains to do what is right. We're providing honorable things. We're living in such a way, not only in the sight of the Lord, but the context of our faith there's that translation. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. There's a lot of energy being expounded by those that surround us as we are trying to please God. And here, um, you'll see the context of Sarah passing away in, in verse uh, Romans 12, 17, another passage that grounds our efforts. Do not retaliate anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do right in the eyes of everyone. Our faith, if it's going to be genuine faith, has to be a refreshing and a blessing and a conscious awareness that we're living it out surrounded by people who don't have a clue. They're looking at how we pass our trials. They're looking at the, the different turbulence. They're witnessing our attitude. And there's no greater response or there's no greater um, visible reality for what we say we believe in than the death of one of our most beloved. The demise of having to bury Sarah. You know, when God... You, you can tell that when this man started out and he says, Sarah, come with me because you're going to go on a journey. I'm going to give you the world. And so the, in that union and in the birth of their son, they still have not come into the promises of God. And everybody's watching. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing it? I mean, it doesn't make sense. And you're following around the invisible and you're doing so in the presence of those that think you're insane 
That, that's the reason uh, for the irritation. That's the reason for the, the, the you know, if we talked about Job and his friends, how they judged him his whole life. And it's like, oh, something has to be wrong because those surrounding witnesses to do that which is pleasing, not only before the Lord, but before those guys who are making everything somewhat impossible. Do not pay evil to those that are in that realm, but be careful to do what is right. Not only in the heavenlies, in the spiritual devotion, in your relationship with Christ, but as you're doing these things to those that surround you. How do we live out these trials in our faith upon the earth? Because, again, it becomes controversy to us. And Romans 13, 8 follows the next chapter. Make sure that, that nothing is owed to anyone except that your love is known to all. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Romans 13, 8. Lord, this is a huge challenge for me. Because not only am I trying to have a devotion before God, but you want my devotion before God to be grounded upon the earth in the midst of my most horrible moments. I don't get time to prepare and to rehearse. I, it's difficult. Colossians 4, 5. Make sure that your behavior is arrayed with wisdom. Be wise in the way you act towards those that are outside. Make the most of every opportunity. Uh, Lord, the first part is hard enough. To love you, to follow you, to sacrifice, to surrender. That's hard enough. But now you're adding the responsibility that my faith walk would be a substantive reference to those who are watching me, who are participating. Um, I've never seen, uh, you know, like I, I said, we were on television for two years. We didn't get one phone call in Miami from those that were in Christianity or outside of Christianity. We were there two years, living out a life, pleasing God. And so it becomes a manner of being weary. Uh, I want to say that that, that, that is rightfully... The sentiment that we might have in our faith walk. If you, you say, you know something, why am I being weary in the journey of my walk with faith? Um, let's go to Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Because when you're set on serving and following and living for God, it's a weight, my friend. It's a weight that's exhausting. So Paul writes to the Galatians, don't become weary while you're doing good. Because there's going to be a harvest that you will reap in the right time if you don't give up. There's going to be, we were saying this at the men's meeting on Monday night. Listen, when all hell is coming against you, God shows up because that's what he does. That's what he does. And so we cannot afford quitting, throwing the towel, giving up, becoming weary. Uh, the Lord puts us tonight in the context that our faith is happening in the realm of the earthly existence. Where death is a common foe. 
Let's not become tired in doing good because there's a harvest to receive. And this harvest needs to be in the presence of those that are surrounding us, watching our surrender and our de devotion and dedications. Colossians 4, 5. Make sure your behavior is with wisdom towards those that are looking in, making the most of every opportunity. So, verse 6, let your expression... Let your speech always, your conversation, be filled with the grace, seasoned with salt, knowing how you might answer to everyone. I want to tell you that in the context of Abraham, it was time to pack his bags and go back to daddy's house where he came from. He wasn't supposed to be burying people in a foreign land. God had promised him to inherit all the land. The promises of God were extended towards him for great prosperity and fruitfulness, for refreshing. And he's there in this land finding opportunity to bury his wife. 1 Peter 2.11 those of us who have decided to live in this world as pilgrims and not to be home, Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to not engage in the lust of sin which wears heavy on your soul. This is not the time to get in the flesh. This is not the time to be weary. Instead, have your conduct, verse 12, be honorable amongst the outsiders. If you're in and weary and overwhelmed and pressed on every side, make it for an opportunity to show forth. I have here... Make it sh show forth your conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles. <laughs> Dignity. That when they speak evil, they, they accuse you of not being able to live right. They may see what you do and glorify God on the day He visits us. That means you don't give up. That means you have entrench yourself and we're going to see this in the life of Abraham he's not going back and that's why he continues to be the father of faith uh, in this foreign land in uh, being a stranger having lost his his best efforts his his perfect helper he's he's doubling down on his investment he says make sure that these who see your pattern of behavior, that it continues to be in the direction of the faith you profess, doing what is right, and, and seeing the, 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 the outcome. And verse 13 says, therefore submit yourself. Make sure you're in line with Every authority, whether he's an emperor or supreme. That, that is the strongest time that, and we, we said this last week, the centurion. 
I'm a man under authority. I know everything that happens in my life is God. And he says, the great faith. I see that you're living out what you profess. Verse 14 says, as to the governors who, uh, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong or to commend those who do right. Verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you put to silent those outsiders of the ignorant foolish men. Verse 16, as free, yet not using our liberty as a cloak for doing what's wrong, but as servants of God. Honor all people, love the brethren, fear God, and honor the king. Verse 17, line up with the jurisdiction, with the atmosphere. Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, again, Daniel surrounded by outsiders. Uh, none of us here tonight would judge Daniel. This man was worthy of a lot of encouragement and praise as he was being faithful to God in Babylon. But the outsiders, the administrators, and the satraps, the princes, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct with government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could not find corruption in him because he was trustworthy. He was not corrupt, nor was he negligent. The man continued to exercise faith, yet surrounded by those that would want to discredit him in a second. 1 Thessalonians 4.12. Now we go to 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, my brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others do who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So again, um, let's go to Genesis 23, verse 2. What happens when, when Sarah dies in the land of Canaan? Um, it says, so she died in Kiriath, Arba. Uh, city of four. That's what four, Arba means four and Kiriath city. Uh, this is Hebron. Hebron was the land of double portion. It was right smack in the middle of the promised land that God promised Abraham. And in the land of Abraham, Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. They, they used both the, the mourning, lamenting, and the shedding of endless tears in this land that uh, he soon has a decision to make. What am I going to do in the crossroads of everything turning contrary to what God has promised? I, I, want, to, I want to tell you real quickly, Genesis chapter 15, lest we forget we went through there, uh, verse 18 and God tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. And the Lord made a covenant to Abraham. To your descendants, I give this land. From Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. This is the, the area where Abraham finds himself right now. And then he says in verse 19, this is the land that's inhabited by the Canaanites, the Kezanites, the Kadmonites. Verse 20, the Hittites. That's, that's who Abraham is going to have to deal with now in this episode of chapter 23. Verse 21 says the Perizzites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jergesites, and the Jebusites. Full 
of surrounding stress. Again, I wish that we were living on a heavenly plane and there was no earthly uh, efforts to be made. But you know what? Our faith is best stretched when we're surrounded by adversity. And that's where you see uh, God show up in a marvelous way. But let's follow Abraham. In verse 3, when Sarah, living to 127 years, she dies in the land of Canaan. Abraham is mourning and weeping for her. Verse 3 says, Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and begins to speak to the outsiders, the Hittites. And he says, you know, this, this is a perfect place for you and I for a tantrum. This is for a perfect place not even to engage. Um, in, in these couple of days with the burning down of the house and all that stuff, I, I wish that this episode would like disappear till we get our house back. Because people look at you and we, we see what's going on. And seeing here Abraham rises besides his dead wife and goes to speak. You know, his, his life represents the blessing, the prosperity, the faith, the, the faithfulness of God. There's not supposed to be death and burial here. And yet he stands up and goes to the Hittites, verse 4, and he says, you guys don't understand this. I'm not to be grounded. I don't have territory down here. I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. I'm a weirdo. You guys don't see what I'm about. You don't understand why my insistence to participate in this field. It, it was totally contrary. It's like being an astronaut uh, without the spacesuit. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Now, this, this has, um, if you're in the flesh and read this, you might be saying he's, he's, he's giving in and throwing the towel. But you know what he's doing? He's doubling up and he says, God is a God of resurrection. And I'm sticking around till I see what God's going to do. I'm willing to invest in this area that nobody's going to invest in. Um, one of the names for these sons of Heth, I think we're going to get that in the next paragraph, is sons of terror. He's going he's gonna to go and negotiate to stay in a realm that's full of fear and uncertainty. But he says, this is the land God has given it. And, and um, this becomes an incredible place. And you'll see for generations to come that... The legacy he leaves to his children and his children's children and children's children is let's go back to the place where our forefather doubled down and agreed with God and his promises. He says, I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you, but sell me a property, a burial site, so I can bury my dead. Part of the scenario is what God says is going to happen is going to happen, even though it doesn't look like it. Verse 5, the sons of Heth answered Abraham and said to him, uh, the, 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 
This translation, the, the Hittites, in my translation, it says the sons of Heth, answered Abraham saying to him, um, this is what they say to him, ready? Verse 6, hear us, my Lord, we acknowledge that something keenly and noble is about your person. You're a mighty prince among us. We don't question that there's some, some uh, that word mighty prince in the translation is uh, you are lifted up amongst us. You hold a place of exaltation. We see the supernatural hand on, of God on your life. Um, bury your dead in the choices of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you this burial place that you might bury your dead. And so they're, they're going to be kind to him and they're just going to let him borrow a burial plot. Verse 7, Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land of the sons of Heth. So he requested a burial site. Then he stands up and he once again says, verse 8, he spoke with them saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with this particular fellow named Ephron and the son of Sor for me that he might give me the cave of Mechpelah, which he has at the end of his field. Um, let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. I'm interested in paying the price I need to pay to have an inheritance in this land of double portion. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to discount it. I want to pay the full price. Um, those days, if you paid the full price, you became the Lord over that land and you had to defend it with your life. If it was just a burial, if you just borrowed a burial plot, you had no commitment to that realm. And Abraham said, no, I'm going to give you the full price for this property because I'm committed to the inheritance God has promised me. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to turn. And so there it was that he insists. Uh, verse 10, Ephraim dwelt among the sons of Heth. And Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth. All who entered at the gates of the city saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I will give you a field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. It's going to be a gift to you. There you can bury your dead. And again, the, the whole transaction, if, if Abraham does not insist on paying the full price, he has no legacy for his descendants. He has no inheritance for those that are coming down the road. Uh, we'll see... When Jacob dies, he says, I want to be buried in the cave that was purchased by Abraham. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people and spoke to Ephraim in the hearing of the people. Um, the people that write about this, those that know a little bit more of these transactions, said that if the, if the transaction didn't occur publicly, before the authorities of the city leaders and they were witnesses that 
there was no such um, there was no such transfer of the deed to the person purchasing it. So he's making sure, listen, this is not going to be something swept under the carpet and something personal. This is going to be publicly seen and out loud that God will show up to fulfill that which he's promised. I'm not going to fold in this regards. So there in verse 12, Abraham bowed himself down before the people. Verse 13, and he spoke. Again, I want you to get the, the weight of those that are in the realm outside of us that are witnessing our devotion, our profession, the, pi the price we pay, the intensity of our surrender. All this is taking place uh, for one reason. For one reason only. And God says, I would make you an example to all the nations of the earth. That they might see my faithfulness upon you. And so he's not surrendering this cause. He's saying, let's take this to the hearing of all the people of the land. Saying, if you will give it to me, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me and I will bury my dead here. This is, this is where it's going to happen. And verse 14, Ephraim answered, saying to Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. I want to suggest that that's a high price. Um, I've, been, I've been told that only those things that are worth a lot are the prices paid a lot for them. That those things that you freely give up, that freely surrender, have no cost. But here he's paying ultimate dollar. He's not discounting. How about if you take half? And he says, what is that between you and me? I don't want to sell it to you. Just do it freely. And so it is there. Verse 16, Abraham listened to Ephraim. And Abraham weighed out the silver to this man. And he did so in the hearing of the sons of Heth. 400 shekels of silver, well paid. When it says currency of the merchants, the guy was paying top dollar of the day for that which he was invested. Um, that which you're not invested in is not treasured. So verse 17 says, So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mambre, the field and the cave, which was in and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded. This man held title to that land. It, it wasn't, um, this is not by any means a earthly accomplishment. What Abraham is seeing here is, am I committed to the purpose that God has with my descendants? This land of promise. Verse 18, to Abraham as possession in the presence of all the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. They transacted at the highest level of authority. Um, that's a good place to double down. How many say amen? amen? And God will always honor, will always honor what you do in the presence of all that honors his authority. We were saying this on Monday night, uh, the fiasco that happened in 2 Kings chapter uh, 18 was the, the surrounding accusations 
the opinions, the declaration, the mockery, the defiance of all those making fun of the king of Judah, Hezekiah. And, and he went to the house of God and he went before the altar of God. And, and the Lord says, listen to me, they're not disrespecting you. They're disrespecting me. And so watch, watch me take care of business. And here, Abraham, father of faith, is doubling down in the territory that God promised. Remember the cave of Mechpelah is double portion. Uh, Mambre, strength and fatness. Um, the end of the field, running the distance. City of the fourth corda. Hebron, the land of giants, where the devil says everything is lost, nothing is yours. Evidence, dead wife, burial, weeping, lament. And this man is saying, you know something? Right here. I'm going to map it out. This is where God's going to show up. I want you to see it. I want every authority to see it that my God is faithful. So it takes a lot in that realm. And we're going to see several uh, examples of how this happened through history. Um, I want to suggest Hebrews 12.1 that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Everybody's watching. I want to add everybody and their mother. Everybody's watching the intensity of our faith with God. Since we are surrounded by this huge cloud of spectators, let us remove anything that weighs us down. There's nothing like earthly sentiment, sensuality, flesh, lust to slow us down in our race. Let us lay aside of that weight and any sin, we, we said what sin was, Romans 14.23, when you're not walking in faith, anything that's not out of faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith if you're walking in fear, it's because you're hanging up faith. So going back to Hebrews 12, he says, put aside all the weight and the sin. 12 verse 1. Let us continue to run this race with the endurance. Listen, that word endurance, you can, you can always cross it out in the Bible and put suffering. Always. There is no faith without suffering. Let us run this race with endurance that is set before us. Um, one of the things that's special about Abraham is Hebrews 11, verse 13. He says that all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but they saw them, having seen them, and waving at them. Having seen them from afar, they were assured of them. They welcomed them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's what he was doing there in Genesis when he told these people, listen, uh, what I'm doing to double down and purchase this land has nothing to do with my earthly pursuit and everything to do to witness the promises of God that are upon my life. And I, I could very easily take my wife back to the land of my fathers. But I've decided to stake a claim in this land. This land 
would be the burial place of all the children of Israel in the time to come. And so only one person could, could live in that realm. Uh, verse 14 said, The ones that can do this are those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Verse 15, And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come as their home, they would have had an opportunity to return there. There's, there's always a time to say, and, and we, we say it often, uh, faith walk is intense. It's furious. It's not for the frail, for the faint-hearted. It's easily to say, wait a second, I, I, I'm going back to where I came from. They would have opportunity to return. But those that are saying that we are strangers and pilgrims and strangers are desiring, verse 16, but now they desire a better place. That is a heavenly inheritance Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a dwelling place, a city for them. People that, that, that it didn't make sense in the natural. The atmosphere, the climate, the surroundings did not make rational sense to stay there and stake the claim where all these demons were dwelling. Why not go to an easier place? Well... Uh, faith are those that are fighting the good fight of faith. In Jeremiah 32, we have a clear description of what it is that God intends for us to do. And here, because Jeremiah is preaching and speaking for God, they put him in prison. You know, the price to stand up for God is to be isolated. And to be distanted and disconnected. And people, you know, they'll keep you. You stay over there. You're knuckles. You're, you're cuckoo. So here it is in verse, chapter 32 of Jeremiah, verse 1. The word came to Jeremiah from who? From the Lord. Which was in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 2 it says, For then the king of Babylon's army had surrounded Jerusalem. There's, there's, it's not popular to talk about the promises of God when there's no physical evidence. So the whole land is, is surrounded. There's no food coming in. There's no source of water. And Jeremiah the prophet was shut in the court, the prison, in the king's house for speaking on behalf of the king. There's nothing that will put you in that place quicker than than having faith and speaking what God says. In verse 8, he says like this. Let's read that, verse 8. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew it was the word of the Lord. He's in prison. He has no future sight of getting out. And the Lord's saying, buy that land. And he's like, Lord, buy the land. What do you mean buy the land? Yeah, buy the land because it's going to be evidence of a deed when I set the captives free. 
You're not going to have an inheritance if in time of adversity, the Lord is telling you to double down and you are giving everything up. You are not staking the claim. You're not walking like Abraham. So it was crazy that Jeremiah in prison, having no hope of coming out, would say, hey, do me a favor, call my lawyer and let's do a closing because I'm going to buy a big portion of land. You have to be a psychopath or you have to believe that your inheritance no one's going to take. No one is going to steal from you the promises of God in your life. So he's sitting in prison and he's being told he's to buy a piece of property. So what's he do? What's a man of God do? Everything says go home. Give it up. Quit. Throw the towel. Go back to there is no God. There is no promise. There is no inheritance. Your future descendants have no inheritance in the promises of God. I love verse 9. Love verse 9. So I purchased the field. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a piece of land. I'm going to hold the deed and I will tell the devil, you, my friend, are a liar. See, I didn't move based on circumstance and atmosphere and situation. I'm, I'm calling a closing and I'm buying. And look what he says. The son of my uncle who was in this land and weighed out to him. Take some of that money I have over there. And buy this piece of land that's about to get ransacked by Babylon. That's about to be taken over by demons and confusion. I'm, I'm doubling down. This is what Abraham was doing in Genesis 23. When I started listening to this chapter, I'm like, Lord, really? We're going to buy land for a burial plot? And how are we supposed to learn anything from that? And then he opens up my eyes. And says, if you're going to have an inheritance in faith, you will walk by faith. And you will pay the price of that which other people won't pay. They're not going to have land in the promised land because they will, not, they will not put down. They will not stake a claim in that, in that field. And I weighed out to him the money of 17 shekels of silver. Now these prophets are not prophets because they're, they're just fly-by-nights. These guys are insanely surrendered to God. Verse 10 he buys the field and signs the deed and sealed it and made sure there was witnesses while he was doing it and weighed out the money on scales. You guys, check out what's going on here. Check out the price I'm paying. Make sure you guys sign up and take a front seat row. Now, this is powerful because this is what we're called to do and that's why the outsiders and that's why witnesses and that's why we're called to this. Verse 11. I love this. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and the custom, and that which was open. Verse 12. And I gave the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Nera. There's something visible, something palpable, tangible of a price you're paying to purchase the inheritance. In the presence of Hamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed, before all the Jews who sat in that prison room. 
Now, something has to happen here. I, I don't know. that These are the times where faith songs need to be sung. These are the times where, where you have to speak louder than the situation because it doesn't make sense. And here he says there in verse 16, in the same chapter, when I had delivered the deed and everything, the transaction was done. This is Abraham in that land. I have already paid this knucklehead some money for a bizarre place, trusting and believing my God, selling myself off to trust what the Lord has spoken. He begins to author some powerful words. Say to me, say with me after the purchase. Nothing's going to happen prior to the purchase. If you don't bleed, there's no, you're not vested. There's no, there's no promise. There's no, this is what happened with Abraham. He could have borrowed the land. He could have received the gift. He paid the price. He paid the price for that which God had promised. And then this Jeremiah does the same thing, the same act of faith, believing God, buying a portion of the land promised as a reference to those that are surrounding, seeing the demise of God's people. And he begins to sing this song, which instantly happens to be one of our favorite songs. Verse 17. You begin to establish reality not by a climate of earthly existence, but you say, Lord, you're about to do something at the same capacity and intensity as when you made the heavens and the earth. Reveal and uncover the immensity of your power in this crazy situation. Show forth upon the earth your great power and outstretched arm. For nothing is too difficult for thee. Show up, God. I'm in. I'm in. I'm, I'm, I've paid the price. Everybody's seen the intensity of the price that I've set. The bar is high. Either I come out looking like a clown or God is faithful. God shows up and clears the land of the Hittites, the Canaanites. Abraham could have said, Lord, you said you were going to give it to me. He says, listen to me. While you're taking time at doing whatever you're doing, I'm doubling down and I'm buying a portion where there's a double portion. This is the best of the land there for Abraham. And that city where he's burying his wife. In the place of greatest defeat, he's moving at the highest level of victory. Knowing, verse 18, that God's loving kindness, the loving kindness you sowed to thousands, repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. You great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, you, in verse 19, are great in counsel, and you're mighty in your works, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men. You see everything. To give everyone according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. There has to be a supernatural move of God 
when these men are not throwing in the towel in the fourth quarter, when everything is lost, when there is no hope. You imagine Abraham, he's not out there at church having Pastor Molina preach at him. He's not, he, there's no verse. He's saying, no devil in hell is going to take what God said is mine. Amen. And I got a deed to prove it. I've purchased this thing. I will pay a price. And so there it is. To give to everyone according to the intensity of their devotion. Verse 20. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day. We continue to see how you move on behalf of your people in Israel and among other men. And you have made for yourself a reputation up until this day. I, I, I feel bad for people that don't know this. There will never be a time where you stand up for God that God won't stand up for you. There will never be a time that when you honor God, God will not show up and honor you. And those who know this have the intensity to tell them, Hey, call the lawyers. I got some silver. I want the deed. I'm going to pay the price. You have set wonders in the land of Egypt, which is a, a symbolic to this world to this day, and in Israel amongst your people and among other men, and you have made yourself a name as it is this day. Do you get, do you get a feeling that, that part, you, you're, part of what God is doing is showcasing his, his grace, his mercy, his love, his glory to cover you. The, the caliber of the character of faith which is present. Why, why would God do this? In verse 21 he says, You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonder, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. You're about to get involved. Verse 22, you have given them this land of which you swore to their fathers to give, and you swore that this land would give us a flow of milk and honey. And so that's why they came, verse 23, and took possession of it. Now, obviously, this, this land is lost. Their disobedience has caused them to forfeit. They're not seeing the realities of, of God's favor. Nobody... Nobody but Jeremiah and Abraham and you and I would stay on this land, would stay on the field. He says, they haven't followed what you said. They have not obeyed your voice. They haven't walked in your promises. They've done nothing of all that you told them to do. Therefore, you have caused them calamity to come upon them. But then he says in verse 25, but you said to me, Lord... Buy the field. Pay a price. Take witnesses. Yet what I see is this is all about to be handed over. How many remember what Chaldeans means? To the plunderers. Those that come to plunder, to steal, to demons. As I see it, everything's lost to demons. And you're telling me to buy a field. Why would you tell me to buy a field? Verse 43, you see that the fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is desolate. 
You have told me to buy this field if it's, uh, it is desolate without a man or beast and has been given into the hand of Chaldeans. Verse 44, men will buy the fields for money, sign deeds and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the places of Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south. For I am about to set the captive free. I will return those that are oppressed. I will cause them to inherit a double portion. And so there it is, some years later, Isaac gives birth to Jacob. Jacob has the ten tribes of Israel. In Genesis 50, verse 13, that which Abraham paid a price for and where he buried Sarah became the very place that God would dispossess all those enemies. And Joseph tells Pharaoh, make sure, let's go to verse 10. And they came to the threshing floor of Ahad, which is beyond the Jordan. They mourned there with great and very solemn lamentation. And he observed seven days of the mourning for his father, Jacob, verse 11. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name is called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan, verse 12. So his sons did for him just as he commanded them to do, verse 13. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Mechpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephraim, the Hittite, as property for a burial place. Something, something happens when a man of God is not moved. Something happens when a man of God believes what God has told him. And you see his descendants inheriting that, that word cave of Maskpelah is translated in Hebrew the place of double portion. The, a, a land which is to be occupied which is the inheritance of the Lord. I, I want to encourage you today that the context for our faith is to be grounded. And it will only be seen by those who understand that this is part of the travel. I pray that we continue forward. And I, I'm, that's... that's that's what establishes and settles these matters. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's a done deal. It's, it'll just take time, but it's going to happen. What God promised and where we stand to stake a claim in the land that God has promised, if you pay that price and you don't surrender and you don't give up and you don't, in, in Abraham's case, they insisted for him to not to take ownership. They insisted for him to not have his name in that place. And not only did he have his name on that place, he made sure all the witnesses uh, and the surrounding authorities uh, were acknowledging the transfer. So this is done in a spiritual realm. And I pray that you sing the song that we see there in Jeremiah 32, 17. And that it would be your song in the midst of the siege.
where it doesn't look like anything is going to happen. And the Chaldeans are mocking. Let's ask the ushers to come forward. I want to tell you that tonight, the Lord's table is the expression of having purchased the deed that we celebrate in the Lord's table. And nothing that could happen and no setback or hardship or circumstance. I mean, you, you know what this table speaks of because it declares the body and the blood of Christ. Christ paid the price. So the, the matter is settled. He has the deed in hand, even though he's coming for his property soon. Father, thank you for the table we celebrate tonight. Thank you that you've already placed a significant down payment in depositing the Holy Spirit. And on the cross, you said it is finished, which is it's done. It's settled. The debt is paid. Ownership is yours. We celebrate that tonight. We pray as we participate of the bread and of the cup that we do it in such a way that honors you. Thank you that you did not surrender. Thank you that then you did not turn back. Thank you that the witnesses were able to see because before principalities and powers, you disarmed the enemy and you took back the keys and you took back the title and we have been redeemed by the price you've paid. That we might walk in that tenacity even when the surrounding nations may look at us as the outsiders may look at us as we're crazy. But we know in whom we have believed. And we participate tonight celebrating the fulfillment of the promises you've made to give us good land that flows with milk and honey. In Jesus' name we pray that you would bless this table and bless those who participate tonight. Amen.